think we've heard our sermon today. The second lesson this morning comes from the, not the gospel, the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 37 to 47. Hear the word of the Lord. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and all of their goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, perhaps in our history, we've never more needed the book of Acts to help give us an orientation as to what the purpose is of our life in community. The text today uh, is about what it actually means for this community of faith, once they hear the gospel, what is sort of the point of it all? What should this result in? What should this sort of look like in the everyday, real-time, real place of where folks live? Does the community of faith, once you hear the gospel and people respond to it, does it look primarily like an orientation of belief? Sort of, I believe these things to be true, but doesn't translate into any sort of different way of life. That's one of the things that the writer's asking as we go into this book of Acts situation. Or the other question that we have sort of that's hidden, it's not in the forefront, but it's hidden underneath, is, is the community of faith, once you hear the gospel, is it primarily about policy? Are there some things that you sort of have to put in place, and then that's kind of the way in which the gospel takes shape within the world? You see, right here at the very beginning of the church, after um, Pentecost had happened, this story picks up 
right after the Holy Spirit had sort of come and the rushing wind, we read that last week, remember, onto all of these people, and they hear the gospel proclaimed. And then this gives us the picture of then what happens after they experienced the Holy Spirit and experienced the gospel being shared. And so hidden underneath this text, which isn't really drawn to light, but if you could sort of excavate it, the question is, what is the primary task? What is the primary orientation of the community of faith when it comes to life in the world? Is it belief? Is it policy? Or is it something else? Is it something else? Well, as this gospel comes into play and these folks hear it, we get a snapshot of something that needs to serve to always anchor us and reorient us in any time of trying to figure out who we are as the community of faith. Because what we learn throughout this text is that ultimately the goal is community. Ultimately, the goal is community. But there are some steps that happen before we actually get to that point. And so I just kind of want to back up and do a little bit of an orientation, a reading, a a synopsis of what happens in the course of this narrative to help us kind of get the handholds of how it is that they end up in this space where eventually we read those last lines where they shared their goods in common and gave to anybody as who had need. You know, you read that and it's just heart-wrenching, isn't it? It's sort of this amazing, beautiful image. And we wonder, how can that happen within the context of our world? Well, there's no recipe, that's for sure, but we can sort of look at what happens throughout the course of the story and see how this particular event transpired within this particular community. The first thing that happens is that this community believes, once they hear the gospel, they believe that they have action to take. They believe that they have action to take. So the response is actually located within their own agency. That's a fancy way of saying that they actually believe that their choices matter in the future. They believe that the the voice that they heard, that the gospel that was communicated to them, actually then bears a certain amount of responsibility on the choices that they make within the world. And so you'll notice that right after Peter issues this sermon at Pentecost, the first thing that they ask is, what should we do? Right. What should we do? What should we do? And that's that beautiful word, and actually in Greek, it's sort of the word that we actually, in in English, we get the word poem from it. It's this poesis word. It has to do with work, but it has to do with making something, with actually creating something that isn't quite in existence yet. I'm pushing the boundaries of the word just to give you an image of what it means. But I want you to understand that this is a word that isn't just what should we do in terms of what should we check off our list. That's not what the community is asking. That once they hear the gospel, they're actually asking, what do we need to bring about within the world? What do we need to make that isn't in existence yet? 
It's this beautiful question, and I love that question. And if we leave with anything from this text today, I want us to leave with that question of what should we do? Because it just kind of stays out there. And as we go throughout the week, we might be wondering, what can I do as part of this community of faith to bring about this message of the gospel within the world? And maybe as you reflect on your life, there's nothing that you can do right now. And that's okay. That's why we're part of a larger community and why collectively the question comes up. What should we do? Right? So it takes all of us. It's not an individual question. It's a question that extends to the life of the community. So it's a we question. But I love the fact that at the very beginning of Acts, that the writer sets us straight, that as this gospel comes to life within the world, that the purpose is not ultimately a certain orientation of of a set of beliefs, but the purpose is action. The purpose is creativity. The purpose is making. The purpose is generation. The purpose is this whole idea of poesis. What should we do? What should we do? And in our faith in particular, that's one of the things that I believe in, especially in the 21st century, that we can really hold on to. And in fact, share that it's a gift with the world. That we believe that the choices that we make, the way that our hands and feet, the way that our brains and our eyes go about the world, actually is the land of faith. That the land of faith isn't somehow disconnected from the body, but it's built right in to the way that we live our everyday. It's built right in to the way that we live and move and have our being within the world. That it's not disconnected, but it's deeply integrated. And we get that set up right away in Acts 2 so that there's no confusion about what the point of being the community of faith is. The point of being the community of faith is what should we do? What should we do? That there's agency, action, responsibility. And ultimately, all of those things are about hope. Right? It's very hard to act within the world in a positive way without having some degree of hope. It doesn't mean that you have to have a large degree of hope. We have a lot of realists in Seattle and a lot in this room, and I understand that. And that's good. It tempers us, right? We don't live in sort of this disconnected utopia. We live in a world where we're, we're connected with people's conflicts, people's real life. But it's very hard to take even small amounts of action without having some degree of hope. Because once you take that small degree of action, you're saying, I hope this grows into something new. I hope this becomes something bigger. It's one of the great gifts that our faith can give the world in this particular time where we do have a great crisis of hope. So Peter then answers that question. They say, what should we do? Sort of that, what should we make? What should we do? How should we be? What should we create? Peter says, repent and be baptized. 
So a little bit of reframing and reclaiming this phrase, because it's actually a very important phrase, and it's part of what our life is built upon. Because that word repent, if there's any word that needs to be reclaimed and reoriented in the Christian tradition, it is that word because it's metanoeo. I've shared that with you before. You don't have to remember the Greek word, but what you do have to know is that it means to change your mind. Okay? So don't forget that. Write it down. Put it everywhere. That repent actually means to change your mind. To change your mind. Do you see how built within that word, there's an openness to the fact that things can change. There's an openness to the fact that you, in fact, will need to be reoriented to the world as the world changes because God is at work. You will need to repent to change your mind and to be baptized, to be cleansed, to be put into the identity of the person of Jesus Christ and then raised into the life of resurrection so that you can live out this hope within the world. So when you hear the words repent and be baptized, don't be like me who sees that on a sign and gets the clench within my gut. That's not okay. We need to start reclaiming that word, reclaiming that phrase. We live in a world that needs to change its mind. How? I don't know. But to claim a certain degree of openness and then to be oriented into the story of someone who is other than itself. And that is what baptism does. It says my primary identity is not about me. It's about the person of Jesus and the choices that I will make. I step into his way and I reorient my own story in accordance with his in the way that I know how to do. Okay, we don't all do it the same way. We all don't know how to do it the same way. But that's why repent and be baptized go together, right? We change our mind, we open ourselves, and then baptism again is about the body. So there's again that body-mind connection. You change the mind, it impacts the body. And then we move forward. We move forward in the story, in the story of faith. And then after this, Peter gives them this really important phrase, which it's easy to miss. He says, when this happens, you will receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit. The free gift of the Holy Spirit. And that word gift here is actually a beautiful word. It has to do with this idea that you receive something without any plan for repayment. It is a gift that has no encumbrance. I don't even think that's a word, but you know what I mean. Uh, that, that does not encumber the giver whatsoever. It's completely given away in radical freedom. And so then Peter says, repent and be baptized, and you will receive the free gift, something that is given to you for which you do not owe any payment of the Holy Spirit. And from that point on, this little group of believers start to figure out or start to experience or start to play around with what that can mean. 
They're together. They put their things in common. They sell their possessions. They give to anybody who has need. They join together, praising God in the temple. They break bread. They have the grace, and did you catch this? The goodwill of all the people. The goodwill of all the people. And the text is very clear that it's all the people. So even those who are outside the story of the community of faith are still in some ways benefiting from what's happening within the story. That in fact the community believes that the response that they have should not just affect them, but it should affect those who have not yet experienced this reality. So already, as this faith begins to take shape, it has deep impacts within the course of the community, but then those impacts begin to reverberate outward into grace and goodwill, not just for those inside, but for those outside. You know, it's this story that was one of the reasons why the reformers were so adamant on getting the text translated into all of the languages that people spoke. Because as the church began to take shape in history, and as it began to move forward from this moment, it encountered many, many, many snares that disconnected it from this particular identity as it started to take shape. And so the reformers were very adamant that we need to be able to read the text on our own so that we don't lose sight of stories like this that should serve to always redirect us when we lose our way. Because we do lose our way. We do lose our way. But this story serves to help reconnect us to our roots of who we are and what our purpose is. And if anything else, we should remember that our roots exist within the life of generosity. That our roots exist within the life of generosity. And that's really what Trinity Sunday is about. You know, when we think about, like Annika had so beautifully shared with us this morning, when we think about the community that exists within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Creator, Sustainer, Nourisher of Life, Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, Nourisher of Life. When we think about the way that the Trinity exists, that God does not exist unilaterally, that that's not the actual being of God, but the being of God is community. One flowing into another, flowing into another. One giving one's life for the other. One receiving from the other that which one cannot provide for oneself. So as we see the community here in Acts 2, what they really begin to do is mirror that community that exists within the life of God as God's self. And that's really our challenge, our invitation, our word for the day. How can we orient ourselves? How can we situate ourselves? What questions do we need to ask ourselves? What is the we question for us right here in Ballard? What should we do? I don't know. 
It's a we question. We'll have to figure it out together. We'll have to somehow be invested in what happens within the life of this community of faith in order to figure out what the answer to that question is. You know, I want to say one last thing as we close here, and that is that we can see within our text today that the outcome of the community of faith, that there is not a goal of nation or nation state. And if you remember what happens in the story of Pentecost, you remember that long list of different national identities that have heard that word spoken. And as they then now move into the way of the Spirit, you can see the diversity that's happening within this first community is actually quite radical. So our text today reminds us that built in to our gospel, built into the outcome of our gospel, is not ultimately a decision for nation, city, or even neighborhood, or even institution. Right? That ultimately what's built within our text today is that the outcome of gospel is community. And all of these things that we have to put in place, ultimately those should protect the ability of the community to take shape. And you know... I know maybe you have some friends who have served in the armed forces, or maybe you've served in the armed forces yourself. I know that my dad certainly was alive during the time of the draft and served in, in, in the infantry during the Cold War, um, right after World War II in the 60s, where there was the wall between East and West Germany, and he spent many, many years, actually three, right in those trenches between the wall of East and West And so as I chat with him and his friends who he served alongside, you know, one thing, and and I don't, this might not be your story, so I'll just share this from my perspective, but one thing that I've learned is that the service did not happen for the sake of implementing nation, but the service happened for the sake of protecting community for protecting the fact that these communities can then grow up and exist within safety. And so for that, especially on this Memorial Day weekend, and I know that I have friends who will be headed over to Discovery Park in Magnolia over the course of this weekend to place flags um, at the lives of those who have been lost in this work of protecting community. So we need to continue to sort of reserve that space to offer thanks and appreciation, right? That's an important part of who we are. But here in this text, we need to also remember that there is a difference between nation and city and community of faith. Community of faith ultimately exists and transcends beyond nation and city. And that's why, at the very beginning, it's always bilingual. It's always diverse. It's always bringing any and every person, regardless of their story, into this question of moving forward, what should we do to create the life that we want together?
we learn that the answer to that question is nothing other than generosity. And it's founded in the generosity of God, giving God's full self away so that then we can exist together and constantly be oriented towards generosity. Friends, let us pray. Gracious and loving God, generous and merciful God, lead us into this community of faith. Lead us to continue to ask the question of what should we do? And help us to follow your lead. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand. Thank you.